My name is Lisa Rangeli, and I'm really excited to be here with my colleague, Albert Garcia. And, uh, whoops. Um, this is my first time attending and presenting at the Communications Network Conference, and it's a really great community. I've really enjoyed the, the plenary sessions that I've been part of. And this is also my first time getting to present with Elbert. So, uh, so for me, it's doubly exciting. Um, so my, as I said, my name is Lisa. My preferred pronouns are she and her. Um, and the goal of this session is really to give you a framework um, and some ideas for thinking about how you can use your power and center power more in your communications to more effectively communicate in ways that will advance racial equity and racial justice. And we'll talk a little bit about definitions um, in, in the intro. Um, it's a flexible framework. It's one that we developed for foundations, but we also think it's relevant and useful for nonprofits. Um, it's, it's not a silver bullet, but it's very adaptable and we hope we'll kind of plant some seeds for you today and um, give you a new way to think about uh, communications for equity. Yeah, definitely. I think also, you know, just also want to say, you know, I, as someone who, um, you know, my first communications network conference was back in like 2000, I think it was 2012 or 2011 when it was in Seattle. And so um, I have a very big fondness for, for the network, um, not only just in general, but also in my, uh, my new adopted hometown of Miami, which is where I'm, where I'm hailing from today. Um, and so um, great to have folks here and there. Please definitely feel free to use the chat, um, introduce yourself, um, you know, tell us where you're coming from, um, what organization, what part of the country in terms of there, so we can have a sense of that in terms of in the chat, um, as well as also feel free that as we speak, you know, to put comments and thoughts, um, put your questions in the Q&A, um, you know, use the Q&A feature to put any questions that you might have. Um, but also use the chat to also kind of um, give us your reflections of what's, um, what's going on, because as much about these conversations is about hearing, but also reflecting upon what we hear. Yep, and since we can't see you, but we know you're there, it'll help us feel more connected to you, so. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, yep, so um, just briefly, um, we're going to give you a little bit of overview of NCRP and just some key definitions and an overview of this power moves framework that we're going to be using today. Um, and then I'm going to really hand it off to Elbert, who's the communications expert, to talk more about how he uses power moves uh, framework to, to think about our communications approach at the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy. And then we really want to open it up to discussion around how you all can use this framework and answer any questions you might have. Um, and hopefully it can be um, as interactive as possible. Um, so the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy um, was founded about 45 years ago to bring the voice of nonprofits and communities into policy debates uh, and sector debates about philanthropy, its purpose, and how it functions. Um, since that time, we have been a bridge between community-based organizations um, and foundations. Um, and we, in fact, have both as members. We have nonprofit members 
primarily social change organizations and, and as well as funders. Um, our long-term vision is that philanthropy is contributing in a meaningful way to creating a fairer, more just and equitable society. Um, and the specific things that we're trying to achieve through our work, which is a combination of research, advocacy, obviously communications is a big piece of that, um, lifting up best practices and so forth. Um, ultimately, we want to see um, funders divers diversify their boards and in particular their boards and their senior leadership, obviously their staffs as well. Um, that they're giving more dollars every year to social and racial justice and to specifically benefit under-resourced communities, black, indigenous, people of color, other communities that are experiencing uh, inequities. That they give more of their funding in flexible ways and in long-term long ways because we know that you can't achieve equity with a one-year grant, a three-year grant, or a five-year grant. <laughs> And that ultimately all of that foundation support given the right way and at the right levels is going to help nonprofits that are working for social justice and racial justice increase their impact and win important campaigns. Um, so for the Power Moves tool, which is a guide that we put out two years ago, um, we defined equity as being achieved when you can no longer predict an advantage or disadvantage based on race, ethnicity, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, or ability. And we see um, race as being primary, um, but as we see equity as being intersectional. So it's, it's both and. Um, and an equity framework is when you're being proactive and strategic in seeking to improve outcomes that account for structural differences, right? So we're really looking at structural problems and structural change. And so the solutions need to be targeted and ultimately through targeting benefit, everybody benefits. Um, so our definition of power is pretty simple. <laughs> um, we really like Rashad Robinson's definition, power is the ability to change the rules. So we really um, encourage folks, wherever your vantage point is, to think about what is your ability to change the rules? What rules do you have control over and um, how can you help others to change the rules? Um, so with those definitions as a backdrop, um, I will just briefly say a little bit about the Power Moves framework. So Power Moves is a guide for funders to basically self-assess. So to take a look at how well they are building, sharing, and wielding power. Um, and what do we mean by building, sharing, and wielding power? So building power is supporting systemic change, right? Because as we said, you can't achieve equity if you're not really addressing the systems that perpetuate inequity. So strategies like funding, community organizing, civic engagement, movement building, advocacy, those kinds of strategies, and funding primarily the communities that are experiencing the disparities to um, to, to advance those changes. Um, sharing power is about nurturing transparent, trusting relationships and co-creating strategies. Sorry, my phone thinks that I'm <laughs> talking to it and I'm not. Um, and wielding power is about exercising public leadership. So how are you stepping up with your voice um, to speak out on equity issues 
um, and, and lifting up the voices of those who are closest to the problems and to the solutions. So um, that's a very brief overview of what we mean by building sharing and wielding power. Um, and and uh, Elbert's gonna apply those, those concepts to how he thinks about communications at NCRP. But before he does that, I wanna just say something about this infographic because when we were creating the guide, um, we actually wanted to be very intentional about the visuals in the guide. And so uh, we wanted to show racial diversity uh, and we also wanted to show other kinds of diversity. And we, uh, we wanted to be very intentional about disability inclusion because that is um, a marginalized group who's often left out. Um, and so we do have somebody up in the, in the sharing power section who is in, visibly in a wheelchair and we know that that's just one way that disability manifests. And in fact, a lot of disabilities are not visible to the human eye. Um, but we consulted with uh, disability rights leaders and actually had the whole guide vetted by a disability rights leader. Um, and, and she said, sure, you know, that's the first step and just don't end there. But at least that's one way to, to show disability. And we have a number of those throughout the guide. And then um, in the lower central part, um, I don't know how easy it is to see on your screen of sharing power. We have a woman who's got long dark hair, who's wearing uh, earrings, you know, might be evocative of an indigenous person. We consulted with indigenous leaders about, you know, wanting to vis visibly represent uh, an indigenous um, perspective in the guide. And they said, you know, that's fine. So it, we probably didn't get it right. We probably didn't get it perfect, but we at least tried. And, and so the lesson there was, um, it takes time. You know, we, we, it took extra time to, to try to be more inclusive and to consult with others and consultative processes take time. So that was just a little window into uh, how we try to walk the talk of the, the Power Moves Guide. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Albert. Thanks a lot, Lisa. Um, as, as I said before, you know, my name is Albert Garcia. Pronouns are he, him, and L. L, um, not my name, but, but in terms of for language access, which, you know, in terms of as a first-generation Dominican-American, um, I certainly understand um, and come to grips with the fact that, you know, language, um, language has power, words have power, um, and how we translate things, not just in terms of our visuals, but also in terms of the different languages of our communities is important, right? And, you know, one of the things, um, you know, I came to NCRP um, in January with a kind of, like a lot of communicators with a wide variety of experience. I've worked in education and leadership development. I've worked on the governmental side, um, worked, uh, you, know, uh, you know, worked with movement groups here in Florida. And so I think one of the things that's, that's, that we always hear about when we talk about power, a lot of times we hear power spoken about in terms of um, when it comes to movement groups, building power, right? Building our, our political power. A lot of times we sometimes even talk about economic power. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and I think as a communicator, I think we all recognize the power that we have to shape and frame debates, shape and frame narratives. And this is the power um, that, that we also have to consciously think about how we not only we wield it, but also how we use it um, you know, for, for and with the, the organizations and communities that we work with, right? And so at, at NCRP, part of our goal in the communications department is to put a power moves frame on our communications tasks, right? And so how is it that we can build, share, and wield power um, 
in our communications efforts. And that means everything from, um, you know, the platforms that we use in terms of social media, but also in the way we go about doing our work, right? How we create the content, how we pitch the content. Um, and, and one of the, the hardest things to recognize, I think, is that a lot of times as communicators, um, we are in charge of building, sharing, and wielding power for our own organizations, right? Or if you're in a PR world for your client, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to build the, their power. You're trying to build a share their power and trying to kind of wield it. And so, you know, part of the, the general task that we want to do as we try to center um, the narratives and the goals on, um, on marginalized communities and communities that, that haven't historically had a voice is to think about it also from their hands. So how are we building the communications power of the groups and nonprofits that we're working with? How are we sharing our power, our platforms with them? How are we wielding our power um, and, the, and the leverage and the leverage of relationships that we have in order to help them accomplish not just their goals, but also to build their capacity for communication, right? To build their capacity to tell their stories in their own ways, right? And so um, I think, you know, when, when talking to the Power Moves team, it was very clear to me um, that although we had never really said that as, a, as an organization, that this was our goal, right? It, it made sense in, in terms of the stuff that we do normally, right? A lot of times what we do in, our, in, in the organization is that we'll reach out to nonprofit groups um, to see if they want to, you know, do a guest blog, a guest post on, on our blog. Um, we might also ask, um, they may also be trying to reach a particular sector publication to print an op-ed or to, um, or to have, or, or to participate in a social media campaign, right? And so those are the, some of the smaller ways um, that we normally, I think, naturally do those things. But the real question is like, can we go deeper, right? Can we kind of go deeper in terms of how we are kind of building and sharing and wielding that power that we have naturally, not just as communicators, um, not just as, as organizations, but also individually as communicators. What is it or how is it that we're doing um, to kind of do those things? So I guess part of that question, and I'm curious in terms of with everyone who's in there is, you know, as we lay this framework out of building, sharing, and wielding power, does that make sense? Does that, is that, does that resonate with people? Does that, um, does that, is that something that you have either directly or indirectly come across as you're doing your, your specific work? I'm just, I'm just going to wait a little bit to see if folks, at least on the chat, have any thoughts around that. Yes. And while we're, folks are weighing in, I'm wondering if we can show the poll results. Oh, yeah. That would be good. I'm going to briefly stop sharing screens also because it'll make it a little easier to see the chat. Jen, David saying yes. I would lo love to definitely get what the results are from the poll to see um, what that would say. Totally. We're good to know about how wielding, especially wielding power. Definitely. Um, I can't see the poll results, but um, can, does everyone else see them? Oh, hold on a second. I don't see them. Well, while we wait for the poll results, at some point, I'm sure we'll be able to see them. Oh, um, and then Jolene says, yes, we can talk about our role being able to amplify the voices with disabilities, right? 
um, become the force of change. I think all really good points. Let, let's, I think what's important is, I think as, as communicators, we, oh, look at there, there you go. So 14% um, of uh, folks say um, our organization does not have a stated commitment to racial equity. The overwhelming response is from 64% of y'all where I need a greater knowledge of skills around how to center equity in communications, right? And that's partly what we want to do here, right? Um, and someone said, and again, I think, again, small, small but significant percentage is talking about how receiving kind of the, the type of adequate support. Um, but let's kind of, kind of go in a little bit more deeper in terms of some examples, right? Because I think a lot of us as communicators, um, we understand the theory, we understand what it means, but like, can we deal with actually some practical steps, right? That we can kind of do that. Um, I think when we're talking about building power, we're talking about what's the best way to kind of capture authentic voices. And I think if any, anyone who has had any experience working with um, movement groups or working with groups know that there's this kind of like balancing act that we all do, um, whether we want to capture exactly what people say, um, but then there's also this tension as to like, how do we, how do we message? Do we, how do we use the right words? What are the right, what, what are the quote unquote right words? Right. And part of that in terms of it, it has to be a commitment to building the communications power of the groups and the organizations that we work with. Right. Um, and that means as, as Lisa had spoken about before, building the time to do that. Right. And that means like for some relationships, we're going to have to spend more time. Right. And in, in some ways, I think for some of us, some of us are natural um, or come to this work as educators, right. As people who, um, who want to also teach as well as um, produce, right? And so sometimes that means sitting down with, you know, an executive director and providing training, right? But what it also means is not just also providing those skills, but also thinking about how can I do this work so that classically it becomes a train the trainer kind of moment, right? Because we can't always be there, right? So how do we, how do we create the capacity for folks to kind of figure that out. What is the processes in which, you know, it's not just about delivering talking points, um, but figuring out a process that incorporates people so that they can develop their own talking points, right? Um, because at the end of the day, it's about messages resonating with communities on a local level and a very personal level. And you can't sometimes do that by kind of just umbrelling, you know, kind of, kind of parachuting in. Right. And being able then to leverage relationships that we might have to be able to do that. Right. Um, I remember there was there was a case this this spring where um, one of the one of our members came and wanted to write a blog post. And I thought to myself, wow, this is a great piece for our site, but this would be even better for something like the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Right. And so what I did was that, you know, I, I emailed the editor, the, the op ed editor at the Chronicle and said, hey, um, this person would love to be able to, you know, what about, this person would love to, to put something on our blog, but we thought this might be better for you. Um, and the editor was like, well, we're really not sure, but we're actually interested in this other topic, right? Can you connect me with them, right? And so that's what we did, right? So we connected them. She, in essence, then was able to develop a new relationship with this sector, you know, with the sector, um, with the sector editor, right? And, and again, I was able, we were able to leverage our relationship to expand another organization's you know, relationship, right? And that didn't take away from the fact that that piece eventually ran on our blog anyway. But in essence, what I, what we were able to do was to be able to, to give the person that we were working with the experience of also working with someone like I was working with them, 
right? And so that's like a simple way, not only of building their power, but also sharing our power, right? Which is the, the next really capacity there, right? Like how do we share the power that we have? I'll give you another example. Um, you know, one of the things that, 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 that I know that I've been blessed with when entering new jobs is that people will introduce me to people, right? So I had a number of folks from some of the different philanthropy PSOs say, hey, you wanna talk to this reporter or you wanna talk to that reporter. So when a new communications person came on board at, you know, um, you know, at NAP, which is Native Americans in Philanthropy, and for um, AFI, um, the first thing I did was like, hey, you want to talk to these four reporters, right? I was able to, to share, to share my power in that way, right? Um, so it's, it's not just about sharing, you know, our leverages and relationships with, um, you know, with organizations, but also with people who we know who is doing the work, right? And that's a very individual example. Right? But sometimes our individual examples also should be mirroring what our organizations are doing, right? And so a lot of that, a lot of the work that we do at NCRP literally is sharing our relationships, right? Sharing conversations, doing those kind of things, right? And in the way where we can um, balance out the power dynamics that might be happening, right? We understand that sometimes um, nonprofits or especially grantees might be afraid to pick up or talk about certain issues with foundations. Right, um, because for, for natural fear that they may not get funded, right? With this idea of like, well, you don't bite the hand that feeds you, um, even if that hand is slapping you, right? Um, and so what we try to do is try to, uh, you know, kind of address those power dynamics um, with the different ways that we're doing things, right? Um, and so the other thing also that we try to also do is um, try to create opportunities for us to, to share communications tactics and, 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 and platforms um, because we also know that, that sometimes not a lot of funders do support communications work. Now there are more funders now that do, certainly more than, than four or five years ago, um, but that's still you know, a process, still something that people are doing. So whenever we can, can leverage that opportunity or whatever, we can leverage an opportunity to, to, to fund something, we try to think to ourselves, how, what are we doing that's sharing power? And again, anything that we're doing in communications, we're always, if it's not building, wielding, or sharing the power, uh, our power towards you know, our communities, um, then we're probably not doing it. And if we can't think of it, we're probably not thinking hard enough, right? Um, and so I think that that's part of one of, some of those things, right? Um, and um, so I think that that's definitely the case. And, and I'm gonna, give one or two more examples while wielding power, but then I kind of want to kind of open up and, and listen to some of the stuff that people have during the chat, right? Because I think part of this is the practical experience of what do we do, right? Um, yeah, and we're starting to get some questions, but yeah, we'll wait until you finish this part and then we'll... I, I think the last part about wielding power is really, really important. And sometimes I think, you know, you will, I think each of us will look at our organizations and recognize that some things are easier than others in terms of this little kind of three-legged stool, right? Some organizations will, will, building power is a lot harder because it deals with capacity issues and time issues and stuff. For some, sharing power might be a little bit difficult because there's maybe not a lot of power that you have to share, right? That might be an issue. Um, wielding power for some may be the hardest one because it really is utilizing your bully pulpit to spotlight um, not just marginalized voices, but also solutions that communities want, right? And that's sometimes, you know, you know, taking a risk, right? Taking a risk in terms of, of being able to, to, to create an uncomfortable conversation that you might not even have a solution to, right? 
um, but that it really is a conversation that needs to be happening. And so much of philanthropy involves polite conversation. Um, and part of our job as communicators, um, you know, it, there's a tension that exists, right? Because we know on one hand that words matter and how you approach a conversation matters. But we also know that words can be used, polite words can also be used as a way to kind of excuse slow action, right? So how do you balance those two things out, right? And part of that is, 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 is taking a stand or wielding power in specific ways, right? Um, and, and again, there's a balancing act between wielding public power and wielding private power and this role of, of, of backdoor conversations that we sometimes might have. Um, but in many ways, I'm blessed to work at NCRP where a lot of, you know, unlike some organizations where I've worked in the past, that we've had a pressure to always brand the efforts that we do because part of the branding of our efforts is key to us getting funding. Um, and NCRP, at least currently now, they, that, that pressure doesn't necessarily exist, right? So we can do behind the scenes work because ultimately at the end of the day, what we wanna know is those who, who need to know the work that we're doing know our role in it, right? And so I think that that's, that's but that's every, you know, again, every organization whether you're a nonprofit or a foundation, is going to have a different is going to have a different way into this, um, and is going to have different pressure points, right? Um, and so the last thing I will say about these this framework here is that if you're trying to think about where do you start, right? Part of it is where do you start? Where um, where where you know what's the lowest hanging fruit? What's the easiest thing that you can do? What can you do today to do one of these things, right? Um, pick one and then grow it out from there. Um, because that's how, um, and in a lot of ways too, I think some of us have the, the luxury in our communications departments to sometimes model behavior that other parts of our organization can follow. And so it's a lot easier to tell development or tell some other folks, hey, are you building, sharing, and wielding power if you're able to provide a specific example of how you're doing it with the work that you're doing. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that's where I kind of I want to wrap some of this up. And I know, you know, Lisa, you've been following the chat and the and the questions um, a little bit more. So what are folks saying? What do people want to say or do? Um, well, we've got some great questions about um, words and how we know which are the right words to use. So for example, are there uh, equity-oriented style guides out there? Um, and if folks know of any, maybe we can put those in the chat. If you know of any, Albert, and also, how do we figure out the right language without overburdening the people who, who's, you know, who we're trying to support? And um, I, I would love to hear what you have to think, say. My initial thought is look at their own communications, right? Like look at how they describe their, their, their identity, their, their lived experience and take cues from them that way. You know, look at their website, at their, you know, if they're on social media and see how they describe themselves and that way you can take from them without having to actually go and say, well, you know, are we doing this right or, or so forth. And then we've also, uh, oh great, somebody posted in the chat. Um, there's a few that are being posted of kind of prog progressive style guides. And then um, folks also just wanting broader resources around how to bring equity into their organization. Um, and we, on the Power Moves website, we actually have a list of, of equity-oriented resources, so we can get that into the chat. Um, and a great one is Equity in the Center has Awake to Woke to Work, which is a great tool for embedding equity within organizations. 
So I'll turn it back over to you, Albert. Those are some of the things that are coming up so far. Yeah, and I think this is the thing. I think, you know, and Lisa and another person who's in our, our Pymo's team, um, Eleni, um, uh, have, have definitely been thinking and working on, like, how is it that we can both um, expand and help out these kind of conversations, right? And so I think, you know, part of our work, our continuing work with, with our Pymo's team and our Pymo's curriculum is to, like, dig deeper in terms of how these things can go, right? Um, so I think in terms of, like, some specific examples, um, I think when it comes to message work and message development, some of the things that I've learned over the years um, from both movement groups and other, you know, there's you know, a lot of great folks, like the folks at Rethink Media do a great job um, at trying to center their processes around movement groups. Um, you know, I, I also think, um, you know, the folks at the, at the at, who run the Reframe Consultancy also do a really great job of kind of doing that. But one of the things that I've definitely learned um, is that, you know, there's this age old kind of truth um, in communications like that you're supposed to meet people where they're at, right? And although I think when it comes to messaging, there's a lot to be said about that. I think when it comes to relationship building, um, we have to make sure that we unpack some of the own biases that we do have when it comes to communications, right? I mean, especially when it comes to things like writing and essay writing. Um, I know from my personal experience, especially dealing with like working along lines of like bilingual lines and trilingual lines, is that um, some of the best phrases and sentences are never written down on paper, right? Um, some people have great oratory styles um, that literally their essays, um, you know, in sound. Right. And so part of it is like, what are you going to do to enable and facilitate that? Right. And to the point of like not putting the burden, you know, on those, you know, on, you know, on groups or, you know, on these authentic voices to also figure out the form and the function of how they do it. Part of that is, I think, starts with listening to who you're working with and figuring out, A, what part of the journey do they want to be on? Right, because there's some people who want to have a, a journey of self-discovery that they do want to learn. Like they want to learn how to like op-ed write. They want to learn how to do that. Right. Some people also think that they don't have anything to say when they have everything to say. Right. And part of that has to do a lot with like, you know, society's own um, ways of marginalizing folks. Right. And so I think part of that is that we have to, own, you know, like, I, you know, and, and I, there's always this this idea of like, well, you know, when especially when you're developing talking points, oh, like they should, you know, a, a, a group of folks have, have decided that these are the best words and best phrases to say and, and folks should memorize, right? And I think everybody here who's ever had an opportunity to, 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 to work with folks or train with folks knows that that's like probably the surefire way not to do it, right? Because if you memorize something that's not core to you, then when you get nervous or anxious, you're always going to forget it anyway, right? And so part of it is, is building the time and processes to say, okay, how are we going to create something that we can all agree with, right? Because no matter the education level, no matter the community, people come together to communicate. People do it all the time. It's just a question of like, which is the form that they do it the best, right? I've had, for example, a lot of times what we've sometimes done is we'll have a conversation with someone, especially in, in the Zoom world, right? Where we'll have a conversation, you know, with their permission, we'll record it and we'll transcribe it and we'll use the transcription, right, as the basis for the essay right? Um, or for the basis for the post, right? Um, sometimes we'll, we'll, you know, it means having a tape recorded conversation and deciding that you're actually going to release the audio as opposed to the, you know, as opposed to having it on writing because it just sounds better, right? 
Um, so the real question is, how are you going to like, you know, present yourself in some ways that moment there? Um, but it's always, and, yeah. Sorry, just, and we, we had a particular question about, you know, how do you make sure that your kind of editing process doesn't result in erasure of marginalized voices? So how do you balance the, the, the style manuals and the editing processes that you have with, with keeping that uh, authentic voice? I think, I think part of it is remembering who, you know, at the end of the day, who you're writing, you know, is always remembering your audience, right? And not only your audience, but also the obligation and, and your obligation, right? And your obligation to folks, right? Um, I think if you, you have to also know where your own blind spots are, right? So for example, I know that I'm still learning um, usages around um, non-gendered terms, right? Um, so I have a person I know, design, I have a couple of personal friends, but also people on staff who have a better, you know, have a better idea around that, right? So I filter that through them, right? And I say, hey, I don't know. And again, there's enough trust in that relationship to know, you know, even if I mess up that I'm not doing it on purpose, but just because I don't do something on purpose doesn't make the pain any less, right? Um, you know, I always tell my daughter all the time, just because you didn't mean to trip me doesn't mean that I didn't get hurt. Right. And so it's so so we need to also regulate our own blind spots to the degree that we can. Right. And approach the work with a certain amount of humbleness. Right. Um, and also learn. Right. Because obviously you're not going to go to someone every single time. You have to you have to make a commitment to learn. Right. To learn these kind of issues and things. Right. And so I think that that's definitely I think that that's definitely part of it. Um, and, and if there is any hesitancy as to whether you can approach these communities or some of those words then I think there's, there's definitely resources out there or people and stuff out there that can help you get there, right? So part of it is your own personal journey in terms of the blind spots, your organization's own journey, right? Because maybe perhaps your organization has a record of, of just communicating badly on these things, right? And so part of that, sometimes that's the issue that sometimes we're also dealing with as communicators, right? Like in Spanish, they always say like, there's an expression that says like, sometimes you, you basically translate, like sometimes you're playing for plates that you didn't break, right? Um, and our organization sometimes has that, right? But you have to approach the work in terms of that way. The, the one thing that I would also say too, is that as we're building, wielding and sharing power, part of that is thinking about the ways in which we can actually utilize the work, right? And so for example, some of us, you know, may have, some of us have, um, you know, have access to money that we use to hire graphic artists to um, to have translators or something like that, right? Like, and so the question is like, are you leveraging some of that power to do that? So for example, one of the things that we did um, in some of our most recent work was that we, you know, made sure to try to utilize, um, you know, try to utilize uh, black artists um, in some of the work that we were doing around racial equity, right? Um, we also distinctly were looking for, um, are in a process of continuously looking at our vendor list and trying to make sure that that's as diverse as the populations of communities that we're trying to also do that, right? Those are some simple day-to-day -day things that you can do, right? To try to at least like recenter not only the work that you're doing, but also who is also, um, you know, who is also standing to, to potentially benefit, you know, from mm -hmm. that, right? So I think that those are also some, you know, kind of quick practical ways in which you can kind of do that, right? Like for example, you know, we're working on, you know, some of the work that we're doing around, um, you know, around gendered violence and reproductive justice, right? Um, you know, we're planning a couple of reports and infographics. We're in the search for looking for folks, you know, that are from the community who can do those things, right? 
Um, so not only are we reducing words and reports about that, but also trying to engage folks in that process there, right? And that's, mm -hmm. you got to build time for that, like you said, Lisa, before you have to build time for that, especially if you don't have a list, right? Like you have to actually, you know, search and ask people and do it. And that's part of the work, right? I think sometimes we get frustrated and we're like, oh my God, this is, a, well, that's part of the work. And unfortunately, when it comes to communications, we are building the work for other people to do, right? Um, and that's, and, and in any kind of movement work, you know, that's what happens, right? You do the work so that other, so other generations can also not work as hard as you had to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's a reality. Um, and hopefully it's a reality that you can navigate as, as, as a communicator. All right, so we've got some more questions coming in in the Q&A section. Let's try to address them. I like to try to address questions live if possible. So one is, how do you communicate research findings with cultural sensitivity that honors the communities you study in your experience? And how do you help your communication colleagues unpack the findings? Um, that speaks directly to what you were just saying about it takes time to be inclusive. So ideally, if you're studying communities, you're somehow engaging them in that process and helping um, you know, process the meaning and make meaning of the findings with, with the community. And, and if, it, if it's a really large you know, research project where you're you know, looking at thousands and thousands of, of participants, then obviously what that looks like might be different. Maybe it's, maybe it's an advisory committee of people with lived experience. Um, so hopefully there's some way that the communities you, you're, you're studying are part of that process. They're getting value out of it. They're, they're benefiting from the information that comes out. And, and hopefully your communication colleagues can be part of that exchange. So they're also hearing directly from communities. But what do you think, Albert? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and again, without, I think, without knowing the particular instance, right? Because I think every research question, every community, everything has a particular life instance, right? But the, the two things that I would say is A, um, and I think as communicators, we know this, right? Sometimes we are, um, we are the last at the table, but, the, but expected to be the first ones out the door with the information, right? And so part of that is certainly um, from a process standpoint, being at the beginning when even the research questions and the research methodology and the research processes are made, right? I think that, that will help in that process, right? But the other thing is what I would say um, is to caution, I would caution moving away from studying communities um, because, because in some way, or at least that, that kind of term, because part of that almost seems to um, insinuate kind of an outside in kind of strategy, right? And the reality is that like communities are trying to learn things as much about themselves and trends and things like that. And so they should also be part of at the very beginning about how do you communicate that, right? And communicate the data points and all those kind of things there. So I think that, that if you can start with communities being a part or as much as you can, a part of that process of discovery and and dissemination information, then I think the, you know, the, the tripwires around, around culture and cultural competency will be made more apparent more easily, right? And so as a general rule of thumb, it gives you a little more time to kind of figure out how to say that, right? That being said, um, there's some hard conversations you're going to have to have with colleagues, right? <laughs> like, and, and, um, and again, you know, without specifically looking you know, at a particular case, that would be my general rule, right? My general rule, right? At the end of the day, um, we know as communicators um, that having 
third party validation or having community validation of anything that we do is really important, especially in this world um, of, you know, of Twitter, right? And so I think part of it is that if you are confident that what you are doing has the support of those um, who are involved in the process, um, then I think you will be able to at least um, do this work from some sort of kind of moral high ground, right? Um, and so I think that that, I hope that that explains the answer a bit. Great, and we've got um, some more questions. So one is um, this person does communications for a family foundation, a private foundation, the family is white. Um, their, their board is made up almost entirely of family. Um, and the bylaws say that a family member must always be president. So how does this person as a comms person talk about the importance of equity and diversity in leadership um, when they know that the organization is unlikely to ever have a person of color in charge? First of all, I would say bylaws can be changed. <laughs> there are many white family-led family foundations that have actually over time expanded their leadership, shifted their leadership. So I would first of all say never say never. <laughs> um, and um, there's been some great writing about other ways to share leadership beyond the actual you know, president, CEO, or, or board president. And actually, as part of our Power Moves work, we solicited um, a blog post from the Barr Foundation, which is a small, um, the, the foundation is not small, but small, small family that leads it, and how they have expanded, gradually expanded leadership in a more, to, to invite more diverse leadership. So I can try to find that and put that in the chat. But Albert, what are your thoughts? Like, I, I think this is a fantastic question. And I think part of the question that I think you want to know is a, so, so I, I would ask, so let me ask a question from as a communications professional and another thing as just like a regular person, <laughs> right? Because I think sometimes we, you know, sometimes one is not the same. I think that as a communications professional, what I would ask is like, how far, how, how, how far are you willing to make your public journey of discovery? right? There, there's something to be said about admitting to the fact very publicly in a communications way of saying, we're dealing with this as an organization, right? Um, and this is something that we're dealing with, right? Or, and again, whether you're saying it as we're dealing with this organization or using your communications power to say, well, I have a friend or I have, I know other organizations that deal with this stuff, right? We do that all the time in communications, right? We always say like, there's always that like, you know, um, invisible other person, right? That might be ourselves, right? And so I think that there, there's certainly some way of doing that, right? But as Lisa had said, is that leadership, there's a lot of questions around what leadership actually really means. You have positional power in terms of foundation and stuff like that. But the real question is whether or not that foundation and its leadership want to deal with that issue. Now, if they don't want to deal with that issue and you're inside that, then that has a little more, there's a little more kind of a practical conversation of internal advocacy of what you do. Right. And without looking at the particular organization or whatever, I don't know. I mean, like you might be right in that, like this organization may never, ever do that. Right. And so if you know that's the point, I think the question is, what's the most that you can expect? Right. Um, is there a way in which in terms of fighting this fight maybe doesn't help this foundation, but illuminates others? Right. And so I think part of it is really kind of thinking about what the relationships are also with that foundation. Right, because maybe from an advocacy standpoint, um, there are other people who hold um, the power, the leverage power in the relationship to that foundation that might make it there. 
but from a from a, just a just a, just a plain kind of ad, from a, just a plain language, if that person, um, if the you know if if the if the president of the foundation has to always be the family member, as Lisa said, I'm not quite sure if, if every foundation has to have a president as head, right? Maybe you internally shift the power and the leadership of an organization to one way or the other. And when and I when I think of it that way, I think of I mean I'm a big sports guy. I mean how many um. Now, how many sports teams of uh, the power of the general manager is not in the general manager's hand, but it's actually in the some made up position of like president of baseball operations or something like that. Right. So the real question is like, how creative do you want to be and how creative do people want to be? Right. Um, so I think that I, I think part of it is just kind of thinking outside the box. Right. But at the end of the day, when you're thinking about in terms of building, wielding and sharing power, if you don't have, if, if the ability to change leadership is not what you have, is there another way within that context that either you individually or people in the organization can build, wield, and share the power of the communities that they're working with? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you know, there's there's always, I think, the potential, and and this, which there's always the potential to ask questions, right? To come from a place of curiosity and say, well, you know, is this a foundation that's commitment committed to lifting up the leadership of? marginalized communities of, of people of color, uh, uh, of, of, you know, different communities that are experiencing inequities. What does that look like to you? What do you, you know, what do you, what does it mean to you? And sort of just kind of keep bringing it back up. Um, but I think uh, a number of questions are really coming up against this feeling of a limitation of power, right? Folks are saying like, I can do this, but then I meet resistance. Like for example, one person is saying, you know, we talk about how kind of cleaning up and editing language is whitewashing, but we still get resistance. So, you know, that's the really the tricky question, right? Is what if you feel the limitations of your own power? What do you do about that in the in communications context? Yeah, well, I think part of it is, um, you know, I, you know, I think first of all, I think there's a lot of what I have always found strength in is in the community of communicators. Right? Because sometimes there are some days where I'm like, not particularly at NCRP, but certainly in other places that I have felt like, am I the only freaking sane person here? Like, am I like trying, and then you like, and you call up another person who's like, you know, communications manager and another person. They're like, oh my God, that's true. I, they did this exactly to me too, right? So I think that there is certain, a certain amount of like, I think being able to leverage things like the communications network or other listservs like radcoms and other places to kind of do it. Um, to at least survive the day, right? Because I think that the first thing is like, like, let's survive the day in terms of those issues, right? But I think if we're finding a lot of people with that, then the real question is like, what do we do? Because there's still clearly consensus, right? There's clearly consensus to the limitation of those powers, right? And I think part of it is also having the conversation. So many, so many times, conversations around communications are not actually had. They're had in smaller places and groups, right? But they never extend out. Right, and so I think you know one of the things that I would say too is that when running up to the limitations of power, especially in terms of cleaning up, part of that is also dealing with like what's actually important to people, because some people will think that if you quote unquote clean up something, then then it will be more easier to read, or maybe like the person who needs to read it, like the person on the board of trustees or whatever, will kind of say it. And part of it is is to be able to show, you know, is to be able to show that it has legs in in its original form, right? So be, to be able to say, and part of that sometimes involves a little bit, I mean, come on, we're communications people. We know how to build something virally. We know how to like, you know, like we know how to be able to say, 
send something out and have all of our friends retweet and be like, hey, look, it got really popular. Right? Like we know these things, right? Like we know that these are avenues and stuff. And so I think part of it is that if we want to, to really, um, if we want to encourage certain changes and processes, then we need to better support each other when we see another person doing that, right? Because the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, if someone reads something and says, wow, this sounds really colloquial, which is something that, that someone has said to me in other, in other places, like, like, it's like, it sounds really colloquial. Do you think that they really like, you know, someone's actually really gonna read this like that, right? But if that person sees, oh yeah, I got, you know, 10 emails that say, wow, this piece was really great, or this piece really spoke to me, or wow, you guys were really brave for putting it out there, or something else to that effect, right? Being able to show those people in power that, you know, that it's actually getting the positive response, right, that people do, right? And so I think, you know, and sometimes that means, you know, you know, sometimes that means managing up, which is a, you know, which is a pain. I'm trying not to curse in this thing. Um, it, it can be a pain to some folks, right? Um, and sometimes if you do it consistently, it's like, come on. Um, and so I think part of what I would say to that answer is that if we feel as a community that that's something that's a big issue, um, you should bring it up to the NCRP folks <laughs> and see what we can do about it. I mean, I, I just think it's one of those things that we have to, or certainly even bring it up to the folks at comms, right? Like if the comms network, if Sean Gibbons and stuff like that says that this is an issue that we see with communicators that foundations have to do that, again, that's, lever that, that's comms network leveraging the power to support its members and also equity, right? And so part of it is figuring out who do we, who can we say it, right? And who can we utilize in terms of that way? That's just off the top of my head. Yeah, so I think that we're gonna be bumped off in a few minutes. Um, we have a few more questions. One is just around um, resources that folks can share with external audiences around nonprofit DEI journeys to help explain the work they're doing internally. Um, my, so my first thought is, we probably can share examples mostly in a foundation context. Like there have been some foundations that have been very open and public about their journey. Um, for example, the Meyer Memorial Trust, um, which has transitioned leadership from a, a white man, Doug Stam, who um, you know made a really uh, big effort to try to steer that ship more toward uh, a, a strong racial equity focus and now is run by a woman of color. Um, there are probably other examples, but I also would say, um, you know, just describe your own journey as, there, as it's happening. Like that's the most kind of um, the best way I think to kind of bring people along and help them understand is just be honest. Like we're going down this path. This is how we're going to approach it. We'll see how it goes. We'll let you know. What do you think, Albert? I mean, I think that there's opportunities for both existing and new platforms to feature some of these stories, right? I mean, sometimes the truth of the matter is that and I, I can only speak for myself. Sometimes I get frustrated because um, and even in my own personal and professional work, I, I'm sometimes waiting for someone else to do the, the thing that I know only I can do, right? And so sometimes we're waiting for that because, um, because there's a certain amount of courage that, that one needs to have that sometimes we don't have, right? And, and I'm not putting any judgment on that. I'm just saying that that's real, right? Um, we all have to measure our own sense of risk and, and our own sense of, um, of wanting to do. Because look, we're communicators. Most people who are communicators are kind of people pleasers, right? I mean, we're kind of people who want to like people to like the stuff that we do. Right? And I'm not saying that other people don't like that, but as communicators, I think that that's part of the communications thing, right? 
um, that we want to explain things so that people understand. We want to disseminate information. That there's a certain amount of courage that that sometimes we have to also have because it means that sometimes we're dealing with people um, and issues that are sometimes not as easily um, communicated. And so I think that that that's I think that that's part of it. Um, I think that that's just that that's part of it, right? But I also think that like for example, I mean, I think. You know, there are definitely platform and places that are looking to feature those kind of stories. Certainly NCRP is open to receiving those things in terms of like blog posts and other things, or even in terms of social media and things like that. Um, you know, Alliance Magazine, um, even places like Color Lines and stuff. And sometimes it means opening up conversations, even in publications and places that may not be used to it, but saying, hey, we should do this. Right? And, and so there may be local, you know, in terms of if you're a foundation or nonprofit in a local area, maybe there's a platform, a podcast, something else like that that can be able to do it, right? Um, and I think part of that is also surrounding ourselves, like all good communicators with people who are going to amplify those things, right? And so I think you can definitely count on us and so that in NCRP to, to amplify those journeys. Um, but certainly I think there could be more places um, that maybe if we do a little bit of organizing ourselves that we might be able to support, right? Um, you know, and that, that's much more of an aspirational goal than it is necessarily a reality, right? But again, you have something like the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which last, last week talked about its horrendous, you know, diversity, right? 23 out of 24 staff members being white, right? Um, and, and looking for stories and looking for, you know, in terms of ways to do things, right? Call people, you know, call people out for that, right? At least in philanthropy, there's a lot of people who say, oh, we aspire to do this. Well, hold those people accountable for, for, for wanting to tell those stories. Right. Um, and understanding that the first time it may take a lot of effort and work, um, but hopefully if you're doing it in community and with community, then I think with the second and third or fourth or fifth times, it might be easier. Right. And I really want to thank folks because we've gotten a lot of great examples in the chat of, of nonprofits that have been and funders who have been kind of telling their story a little more publicly. And thanks for sharing those links. Um, we have just a few minutes left. There's a few last good questions. One of them is really just, you know, do we have or do we know of a database of kind of creative pros of color, indigenous, um, that the social sector could draw on? Or do we know where one of those might exist? And I guess particularly pros that would, we would want to tap for, from a You know, I know, I think, you know, good place and I can certainly go back and make sure I mean I think if any of us are, are part of the rad the, the radical communicators network I mean I think that they have um, they have I think a list of vendors that they've been trying to keep um, track of I know when I was working at New Florida majority we had started a vendor list you know in terms of, of, of folks of color in terms of South Florida um, so um, you know I think that there are definitely places if folks email or I can definitely make sure to get to the organizers whatever lists that I know of um, but it also may be something for us as, 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 as a communications network for us to do, right? Um, and for us to kind of crowdsource that. Um, you know, none of these things are going to be the definitive one. But again, I think if you can start it out and you can figure it out, um, and then I think within your own local communities, maybe that's a way of also engaging folks, right? Maybe that's the way, you know, the creation of something like that is the way in which you engage the certain community members or certain foundations or in places, right? Because that's something um, that you can do. I mean, again, people are going to college, like there are colleges, there are nonprofit programs, you know, artists and graphics and folks like that are, are there out there, especially in the age of COVID, right? So the real question is like, the harder question is not necessarily finding them. The harder question I think sometimes it goes about is that just more practical um, reasons. Like I know like, for example, 
you know, there was an issue a couple of years ago when I worked in New Florida, New Jersey, that some of the artists that we wanted were undocumented. So how do we actually pay them? Right? Um, that was a question to ask with some foundations having, you know, in terms of um, issues around that. So those are larger issues. And again, I, you know, that, that's probably another panel in terms of how do you kind of do some of those things. But it may, it may be another panel that we have next year or in the next six months or in your local comms network. Um, maybe that's a, 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 a topic for your local comms, next comms network, local comms network meeting, right? Maybe that's it. Yep. And the feedback we've gotten because we do get so many requests of, you know, do you know consultants who can do organizational development work around DEI with foundations and so forth? And those consultants are in really high demand and often RFPs are put out and they want a really quick turnaround and that works against equity too. So it's also like if you're bidding stuff out, whether it's a contract or a grant, you know, think about the equity dimensions of that in terms of, you know, if you really want to attract a diverse pool, um, you know, what do you need to do to make sure that can happen? Um, so, so we've gotten really good feedback about that. And the very last question was really about like, how can you make sure you don't um, tell stories in an exploitative way, even when the person that, or the people whose story you're telling are part of that, like it can still come across as like, I'm going to, they, they didn't use this word, but like poverty porn or what have you, you know, like, how do you really walk that line and kind of tell an authentic story in a way that's not exploitative? That's a big question. I don't know if we can answer it in the last minute, but. Say is that A, first of all, make sure that you have examples that isn't, that isn't that, right? So I think, you know, like if you're trying to like from a practical level, trying to think about how do you do that? First of all, let's, you know, figure out like if there are any specific examples that you do want to do and you don't want to do, right? Like, like, like ground it rooted in something real, right? I think that, that that's the first thing that you want to do, right? Um, and the second thing is to understand that this is all a dance, right? This is all a dance. This is not perfect. You cannot learn how to do it if you're not doing the work. And you cannot be transformed by the work if you don't do the work, right? How much transformation you will do will be determined on yourself, your organization, your environment, all the other 3 million and 1 variables. But you have to do the work. Right. And that means confronting some things and for some people, a whole bunch of issues um, that we may not be prepared for, but we may need to do. Thank you so much, Albert. Uh, we've gotten very positive feedback. I, I'm, I've learned so much from hearing you talk. And as a white, heterosexual, cisgender woman, you know, who's on my own journey, um, I'm very humbled and, and really appreciate all the learning and, and mistakes that I make along the way. And, um, and, I, and I appreciate everybody else on their journey trying to, to deal with these very thorny questions. Definitely, definitely. So. No, a pleasure. I, 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 you know, I certainly love these opportunities. And again, I think, you know, we're, you know, I think I think we either you know somewhere or people should have our email addresses and, and our stuff like that. Definitely reach out to us. Definitely continue the conversation, um, and um, you know, and with a little bit of grace, we'll all you know move forward. I'll just put our emails quickly in the chat. I didn't share screens again, but this will be faster. Great. So. Cool. Great. Thank you all. All right. Be well. Be well, be safe.